Welcome to the Pacer Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with ex-high performance manager at Red Bull and current high performance manager at Harrison Ross, Darren Roberts. Hi guys, thanks for tuning into the Pace Performance Podcast. Today I've got another great guest coming up for you uh, in Darren Roberts. Darren was the High Performance Manager at Red Bull for a number of years before moving over to be High Performance Manager at one of the UK's biggest physiotherapy uh, clinics, Harrison Ross. It's a great interview with Darren. Uh, he speaks about a lot of issues in working with extreme sport athletes uh, and creating the performance playground and how that can be applied to traditional sports. He also goes into a lot of detail about the state of SNC in the UK, uh, as long as a little bit at the end about how you can make a career, successful career, working with general population in specific SNC gyms that are popping up everywhere. But just before we get on to the interview with Darren, just like to say if you are liking all the episodes that I'm putting out on the Pace Performance Podcast. Please give me a follow on Twitter and you'll keep up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. You can also give us a rating on iTunes uh, and a review, which we massively appreciated. And if you do click subscribe uh, on iTunes, you'll obviously get the episode straight to your phone or your tablet uh, as soon as they come out. So give us a follow at Pacey Perform on Twitter. And without further ado, this is the interview with Darren Roberts. Hi guys, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today I've got Darren Roberts on the line and without me chatting anymore, hi Darren, do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself uh, and where you're currently working at the moment? Yeah, yeah, no, and um, you know, thanks for um, thanks for asking me to do this. You know, I'm, I'm happy to. It's, um, it, it's great to get these sort of things out there, the really, really good educational tools, you know, for... Um, for up and coming SNC coaches and current SNC coaches or anyone that works in performance. So thanks for asking me on. Um, I'm currently the high performance manager at um, a company called Harrison Ross, which few people have probably heard of um, outside the physiotherapy world. It's, it's primarily a physiotherapy company. Uh, and I think it's the largest physiotherapy company in the UK. Um, now, I've only been with these guys a short time just this year, but prior to that, I was the um, head of performance at Red Bull uh, for a very long time. In fact, I worked with Red Bull um, for almost um, for almost 12 years and I established uh, and delivered the high performance program for Red Bull UK and all its athletes. And now at Harrison Ross, I've carried that on there. Um, you know, um, I've moved sideways from Red Bull and essentially doing the same job with Harrison Ross. Um, all all the action sport athletes still uh, still come to me and still come to us, and we still maintain a fantastic relationship with uh, with Red Bull, and they still send all of their like, athletes to us as well. So um, so yeah, that's 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 the last twelve years in a nutshell. <laughs> so how did uh, how did the and I spoke to you about this before, but how did the Red Bull thing come about? It's one of those things that um, for anybody that works in. Performance and works in sport. It's always about. Um, it's it was just about opportunity. Just being in the right place at the right time, uh, and then maximising that opportunity. And um, I was doing um, doing a load of nutrition stuff with um, with Warrington Wolves. This is going back 
you know, 14 years ago now. Um, and um, we were using Red Bull and um, Red Bull, the company, found out and they wanted to know, you know, how we were using it and, and why we were using it in sport. And that just led to a conversation with the company, uh, which led to a few projects with them. And then, um, you know, it was just very, very small to start with, but one project led to another, led to another. And then I found myself, you know, doing more and more with Red Bull and then more and more with the athletes uh, than anything else. And then over, a, you know, over a two or three years, it, it, it went from just doing a couple of things for them to that, that's all I was doing was, was, uh, was working with Red Bull. So just being in the right place at the right time, seeing the opportunity and then maximizing the opportunity. And that's, I'm sure that's the same for everybody that's working in sport currently. You know, it's, it's, you know, just putting yourself in that position. And then, you know, when it, when something turns up, pouncing on it. Mm. Yeah. It seems a, a common theme with guys that I speak to kind of right, right place, right time, building relationships with people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but one thing you mentioned, uh, high performance manager. I spoke a little bit with Dean Riddle about this, uh, yeah. and he was doing it at Sheffield United seven, yeah. eight, seven eight years ago. Yeah. Um, just tell us a little bit about you know what a high performance manager is. I think, um, and I know Dean very well. You know, as a lot of us do. You know, um, and the the my role is about um, facilitation. Uh, with a little bit of delivery, you know, but it, it, it is what it says it is. It's, it's a management role. And, you know, it's my job to put all the pieces of the jigsaw together, um, all the pieces of the performance jigsaw together, um, for the athlete, um, and see where the gaps are and try and fill those gaps. Um, and, and it's building your team, which, which I know again is a, is a common thread through a lot of high performance organizations. You've probably heard before, but, it's about building that team around me and building that network and having all the resources to hand. Uh, not so we tell the athlete what to do. It's the athlete arrives in the middle of this and, and, um, and they tell us what, what they need and we, we fill those gaps. So building the team, building the picture, putting all the pieces in place uh, and you know pulling it all together um, for the athlete's benefit. That's, for me, that's what a high-performance manager is, certainly in sport. Is that is that key facilitator to make sure that the um, the athlete is served and that the athlete is at the centre of the process, not the process at the centre of the process. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, I came across to Manchester to see what you guys were doing a couple of months ago, uh, and we spoke about because I'd been to the uh, UKCA conference not too long before, uh, and we had a little chat about that. But um, how do you see S and C the kind of the state of the industry in the UK? Well. The the good thing about you coming across and, and seeing what we were doing was um, I completely dropped you in it with one of our athletes. <laughs> I was going to come on that, but you yeah, go. You no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell that story. But 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 that but you tell that story. But that's a perfect example of, of the world that I operate in. But I think in terms of the state of um, strength and conditioning in the UK, you know, for me, my view, and you know, I, it's it's. It's a it's an industry and a job that um, is constantly struggling with its identity and constantly struggling um, with what it's doing and why. And I don't mean from a, a application or research point of view. I'm talking as about as a job. Um, you know the 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 role of a strength and conditioning coach, the role of the strength coach at the end of the day is is an American job for an American system. Uh, that's been adopted um, 
of a sort in the southern hemisphere and that's leaked through into Europe over time. So so you find that in the last 10 years people the people have gone from being um you know in a premiership football team you were the fitness trainer. Well, you've gone from being the fitness trainer to the strength and conditioning coach and then in a few short years it's gone to you know performance enhancement specialist, you know performance di- director of perform I don't know that, that there's this constant evolution of job titles um for the, for the same thing and that's for me is driven by um a lack of identity which is driven by a lack of security because um the lack of security that exists in sport um as for jobs is absolutely ridiculous and the demands that are placed on practitioners uh, and what they need to be able to do versus what they get paid for versus whether they're even going to get the get the job is is outrageous. Um, and you see, for me, I see more and more highly paid, highly skilled, and more importantly, extremely highly experienced SNC coaches being gotten rid of for financial reasons, which is a commercial decision taken at executive level, uh, and replaced with three kids straight out of university. Uh, and I also see uh, strength and conditioning um, departing from strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning coach, no strength and conditioning coach. The coach is the important part of that of that description. And I see less strength and conditioning coaches and see huge amounts of sports scientists with an inability to deliver to athletes. Um, and I, and again, this just comes all comes down to this searching for this identity that maybe it's not got and i know that sounds seems like a really hypercritical view a negative view of strength and conditioning in the uk right now um you know and let me qualify that by saying there's some absolutely amazing practitioners in the uk and some absolutely stunning work being done which is why there's a brain drain to the us to the nfl and other sports and elsewhere uh in the southern hemisphere uh because from sports science and from an SNC point of view, we're actually very, very good at what we do. Um, but I think there's this undermining that happens uh, uh, in a commercial sense in that it's, it's, it's cheaper to have three kids straight out of university than it is to have a very, very experienced SNC coach who costs the same. Mm. So why, why do you think people are kind of gravitating towards the, the sports science rather than the SNC coach? Do you think it's do you think it's because the experience you need to become an S and C coach, actually coaching, getting out there, doing things for you know, doing things for nothing with an under eleven side, you know, down wherever. Whereas kind of sports science, you kind of get the feel that it's a lot of it seems to be sat in front of a computer. So you you know you can you can get on the internet and you can learn how to operate. Um, Stat sports or something, or, you know, a GPS unit or something like that. Do you think that's do you think that's true, or you know, where do you um, think going with it? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why you know other people have a much better idea than me as to why there's just been this steady creep towards sports science dominance rather than people that can actually apply that knowledge and, and coach athletes. I actually don't know why, and you know, for me, maybe it's something to do with. Um, you know, you're, you're at, you, you know, you, you want to work in sport. You would like to be an SNC coach. You have an interest in it. You go and do a sports science degree. 
you then realize it's next to impossible to get a job in sport. And perhaps part of it's driven by the fact that you feel that you need to do an MSc, that you need to do a PhD, that you need to come in with this huge amount of academic horsepower to set yourself apart from someone else to at least try and get the job. I don't know. I mean, I could be completely wrong. Maybe it's the lack of security um, which drives this, you know, drives the academic side of it for people to try and make sure that they're as academically qualified for the job as possible uh, to at least get their foot in the door. Um, and then that, I don't know. I don't know, mate. There's people probably got a much better idea than me um, because I don't exist in the traditional S&C world. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, but I, I, all I know is that I just see it marching towards this, 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 sports science dominant scientific dominant scientist dominant um and not so much applied and not so much about being able to coach athletes and also as well to be able to coach athletes like you say you need experience and there's no there's no university course can give you um, can give you experience in coaching athletes and trying to get the best out of someone or trying to have empathy with someone and actually coach them um so i don't know mate i'm sure people have got a lot better idea to me as to why that is if, if and that's just my view. It's my view that that's the way that SNC is going, that it's going towards this two sports science dominant and not being able to coach and apply that. That's just my view. You know, I could be completely wrong. Mm, I mean, I just want to get on to uh, kind of what you do, you know, programming for the uh, extreme sports athletes. But we've left people on the edge of the seats with the little story about me coming across. So I'll go through that. <laughs> so I, I, I pops across um to the crossfit gym in trafford park um where obviously darren was working with two two guys uh one was chris holder and the other was james who's done yeah, james done yeah. yeah both on the both on the what bike ticking over um you showed me a few videos at different bits and bobs showed me around uh and then i said oh are we going to do a session oh yeah yeah uh chris is going to do a session so i obviously answered what you're going to do with your reply was, I don't know, what are you going to do? So I was, uh, with pretty two minutes notice, uh, doing a session with, correct me if I'm wrong, the 2013 uh, World Speedway champion. Yeah. Who had a fractured, broken neck, broken neck <laughs> uh, a plate in his heel. Uh, multiple screws in his heel. Okay. He was... Um, he was three weeks post neck fracture yeah. in his in his um I think it was his C two maybe and then um and then he had a very, very serious fracture to his wrist yeah. um three weeks before that as well, which was plated and screwed. So the th the thing I started with was having a little think obviously and then telling Chris what we were gonna do. And you walked away and then came back and said, What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well I'm just telling you what we're gonna do. Uh, and he goes, he said, why the fuck does he want to know that? He just wants to get on a bike. The last thing he wants to do is do what you're going to do with him. So just get it done. So that was my uh, first introduction to working with extreme sport, <laughs> which was nice. Thanks very much for that. But that, yeah, yeah. that was perfect. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just talk to, talk to us a little bit about kind of uh, not being chucked under the bus. Not being what? thrown under the bus, which exactly. I, did, I did completely throw you under the bus. No, but, it's a good story. It's a good but, story. Yeah, but, but ultimately... You know, the athletes that I deal with uh, very rarely pitch up with, you know, mild hamstring strains. You know, they've always had some pretty serious injury. 
Um, the, and I'm very, very fortunate that I get to work with world class, uh, world class action sport athletes. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm very, very lucky. And great athletes make coaches look good at the end of the day. Um, so I'm extraordinarily lucky. And you know, uh, James Dunn is a motocross rider. Um, he had a, a, a catastrophic injury to his leg. He had a fracture dislocation, a full fracture dis- dislocation of his, his knee, not just the patella, but the actual whole knee. He had uh, arterial damage. He, you know, he could he nearly lost his leg. He had to have a six-hour operation to repair the artery and all sorts of other stuff. So. He was in Chris Holder, who you saw, who's the uh, was the world speedway champion uh, last year, and you know, and that was at a CrossFit gym. And I don't get wrapped up into a CrossFit discussion, but one of the places that I use with some of the athletes, some of the times, is is a CrossFit gym, a CrossFit gym because it's um, it's a decent facility. You know, it's got plenty of space to move around in, decent equipment, decent weights, and we can get a lot done with them in there. But primarily, everything's done up at the rehab center in uh, in Wilmslow, and. How do you program for action sport athletes? What do you do with them and how do you do it? I think, you know, the, 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 how do you program and plan for someone to be part of a system who's good at what they do because they don't plan and they don't program and they're not part of the system? The whole reason they're good at what they do and the whole reason they're world class action sport athletes is because they don't do as they're told. Um, and this is all comes down to the science of co- uh, sorry, the art of coaching the empathy, how you operate, the language that, that, that you use, um, and knowing the athlete and knowing their sport um, and how you connect with them to get them to work towards something. Um, and, you know, as with all action sport athletes and any athlete, it's all goal-orientated. It all centers around their sport and what they want to do. But it is very much an art, uh, more so than a science, working with these guys. Because if you go in there, and like with you, with Chris, you were stood there and you were doing, you were doing, you were doing what an SNC coach does. You know, to a degree, you were stood there and you were like explaining what the session was, and you were telling what movements you were going to do, and you were telling. And I could see Chris's eyes glazing <laughs> over, which is why I came over to him and said, "You know, what are you fucking doing? Just get, <laughs> just, just, just get on with it," because um, you know. Chris wants to be engaged in what's happening, uh, but you know it doesn't. They don't. They don't necessarily need these ridiculously in-depth explanations of what's going to happen and why and what muscles are using and what what movements at what joints and you know anything like that. Um, you need to create the performance playground for them. So and that's what they want to play in, and that's why I came over and said, "Look, just get on with it. Just start throwing him around. That's what he wants to do. He's been stood still for two minutes, which is two minutes too long for him." So, you know, it's, 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 they are like children. And I mean that, and I mean that as a compliment, not a criticism, you know, they are like hyperactive children. So, um, and, and that's how you work with them. You, you, and that's how you keep them engaged by thinking along those lines, rather than this is, you know, an Olympic athlete on a four year cycle that, you know, has everything planned for them down to the minutest of detail. But then, you know, I, sometimes you question the accountability of that if everything's done for the athlete so you know you throw everything back onto the athlete you know and create that accountability for them create the playground get them to play in it and get them to motivate themselves so you you mentioned you've come on to the next question but you you mentioned that creating the performance playground what does that look like so so you know that's that that um that's a philosophy that i've adopted that i've I've taken from someone else at the end of the day we, we you know we're all information brokers, aren't we? Um, and you know, and I, I've I've adopted that 
performance playground uh, philosophy from elsewhere, and that's 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 where, as it says, you create a playground for the for the athlete to 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 work in and to. I think the po- I think the posh descriptions, you know, environment for guided learning, but you know, it's 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 with action sport athletes. I think they they're not part of a system. They've not been part of a governing body or a structured team or anything like that. Um, and their whole you know sport and the whole dynamic of everything they do is is centered around this playground environment, whether it's whether it's the side of a mountain or a skate park or a BMX park or a, or a racetrack or a motocross track, you know, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't say centered around fun to take anything away from it, but you know, these guys, um, live, eat and breathe their sport, you know, with their friends. And if you create this playground environment, um, they tend to be a lot more engaged. Um, and everything is a, is a little less planned. Um, you know, you, you can, you can create when you put two or three of them together into this playground, they start bouncing off each other. They start doing things that they probably weren't thinking of doing. You know, they they feed off each other. They start getting this real viral learning, and then which this sort of viral performance gains going on where each is pushing the other, and you can uh, you can get a real buzz going, and 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 things happen that you know unexpected things happen, which is the best thing for it because you know the more you plan. Uh, the more detail you, in my experience with my lot, the more the more you plan and the more details involved, the more likely it's to go wrong. And ultimately, what these guys do has genuine life and death consequences. So they've got to rely on their instincts and their natural instincts. And and the more stale, sterile, and planned and detailed that environment is, the less it reflects what they're going to go and do. And 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 for me, it's about nurturing those instincts and nurturing the talent that they've got. Um, rather than trying to, you know, railroad it into a load of specific plans, uh, because as I say, you know, the, there is life and death consequences to what they do, and and they do have a little bit of a gladiatorial attitude towards it. So, you know, try and foster that rather than um, and encourage it rather than plan it out. So, how does is is that kind of thing transferable to your more traditional sports? Well, it's funny you say that. I've 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 presented on this quite a few times at some decent. Um, traditional mainstream sport conferences, you know, and um, the performance playground philosophy is one that I think is, is getting more and more, you know, widely adopted. If you speak to Tony Shrudwick at Manchester United, it, it's, it's, it's one of the things that he's taken on board is creating this uh, playground environment. And I think it's, I think it's entirely transferable. The, 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 the reason, the, the problem with it is very hard to measure. It's very hard to, um, you know, create a playground and then the effect or results that you get from it put put into a nice spreadsheet with pretty colours, which is which maybe is what, what people you, want to do. Which is maybe what you feel like you need to do to justify your job. Yeah. Um, this is the impact I'm having, you know, and, and 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 again, it comes back to that lack of security in sport. So, I think it's entirely transferable to rugby, to football, to um, any mainstream sport. And I think that there's lots of people out there doing it, but probably don't call it the performance playground. You know, it's, it's, there's lots of people that create um, um, sessions uh, in environments which actually are quite unstructured and reactive and, you know, no one really knows what's going on. I'm sure there's plenty of practitioners out there that are doing it, uh, but don't necessarily have a name for it. 
And, you know, for me, those, those sessions and those environments are the, are the most effective because it, it more accurately reflects what the athlete's going to go and do out on the pitch, on the field of play, or on the side of a mountain. Because, um, you know, it's, as, as I say, and I know I'm repeating myself, when they're, when they're out there, they're on their own and they're having to rely on themselves and their own instincts and their own skill and talent. Um, and so, you know, that has to be reflected in training. So the more programmed, planned, detailed and controlled that is in training, I'm, I, I don't see that, for me, I don't see the transfer to my lot. But I think it's totally applicable in mainstream sports. I think it just requires a bit of a paradigm change and um, an imagination on the, on, the, on the coach's part. I mean, if, if you're in traditional gym in a rugby or a football club and the, and the head coach or the assistant manager or whoever walks in, and something's going on that's not kind of what he sees as traditional, you know, there's going to be some questions asked. So it's got, I suppose it's got to be a buy-in right from the top that some things you're going to do aren't a squat and a deadlift and a hand clean or whatever. It's good. There's going to be some stuff in there that's, like you say, um, a bit more unusual. Yeah, and, you know, it's not... It's not one... It's not just. It's not just one way or just another. It's not all about, you know... Um, performance playgrounds and it's not all about just you know that traditional uh, traditional uber planned out environment it's not one or the other it's the combination of the two isn't it and and and, and that's the thing it's a mixture of everything and um, you know and each athlete's different each athlete has different needs even if they're in the same sport even if they're the same body type even if they do exactly the same thing they all have very very different needs and I think you're right if something's going on which doesn't look quite what they're used to. There has to be buy-in from everybody. Um, but that's the same of any. That's the same of any culture, performance culture or high performance culture. Everybody has to buy into it um, from the top down. And you know, I hear the word compliance every now and again. You know, everyone has to comply. Well, no, people don't have to comply. You just have to cooperate. Cooperation is much better than compliance. And you know, it's it's. Everyone talks the joined up coaching model and the athletes at the centre of it, but is that really what happens in practice? You know, does that really happen with with that many organisations? I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, everybody in the UK we're all we're all ingrained into working in our different little silos, uh, and because we all meet once a day, we think we have an integrated coaching model, but then we all disappear back to our different offices in our different parts of the buildings and work in our little corners. So, you know, I think it, it's 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 hard to pull off because sport is full of tradition and you know and those traditions you know you need to know what they are you need to be mindful of them and you know but some traditions need breaking and you know no one no one ever became the best in the world by doing doing the same as everyone else did they you know innovation is about breaking the rules and you know someone has to be brave enough to say well hang on a minute well why are we doing it this way just because it's always been done this way you know yeah cool um just i mean i've got another you've mentioned it a little bit um or quite largely uh challenges from working with extreme sports just uh maybe again repeating yourself but just go into a little bit more detail on uh kind of challenges you face and maybe a few examples well you know the the Extreme sport athletes, their 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 physical needs and demands from an athletic sense are, are, are no different to other athletes. You know, they need to be they need to be strong. You know, I'm I'm 
I believe fully in, you know, strength foundation that, you know, strength is the foundation from which, you know, all the athleticism can, you know, be built upon. Um, so I like all the athletes to be strong. Um, but, you know, again, these athletes, they've, they've probably never spent any time in the gym. So you need to go about it um, very carefully about how you're going to put forward to an extreme sport athlete about a strength training program, uh, which doesn't revolve around them doing the sport that they they do, you know, to get them into a gym to do traditional strength work, which I, which they do need to do, um, is, is very, very difficult. And again, it comes down to the, the art and the empathy and knowing the athlete and them knowing you and knowing the sport and having the right relationship with them. Um, and always relating it back to, always relating it back to the sport for them. Um, so, so it's a challenge to get them to, you know, buy into stuff like that but that's as i said that's part of the art of my job um the other challenges with working extreme sport athletes is as i say they don't do as they're told that's why they're good at what they do because you know someone says oh yeah you, know, you can't jump off that cliff so they go and jump off it so um this is where cooperation rather than compliance comes in and this is where the athlete at the center of the process comes in which everyone talks about but i'm not sure how often happens so you sit down with the athlete and you say to them right what do you want to do what do you want to do and what do you need to be the best in the world? Um, and, you know, that's a challenging question for them. And then you sit there and you actually map out exactly what they want to do, exactly how they want to do it, what tricks they want to do, where they see themselves, you know, who's, who is their main rival, who's doing it the way that they think they should be or in terms of tricks and performance and what do they need to do to be better than that. And then, Pretty soon you'll have a plan in front of you. I say a plan, you'll have a picture in front of you um, with the gaps there. And it's at that point you say, well, you know, maybe you should do some strength training. And then it, it's come from them. It's come from their picture that they've painted. And they can see the gaps themselves. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, you're right. I should, I should do some strength training. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you should. So, you know, uh, it sounds like a little bit of kidology, but it's not. It's just it all comes from them. Now, I have the luxury of doing that because I work with individual athletes and I appreciate that if you're in a premiership rugby team with a squad of 35, the SNC coach hasn't got time to sit there all day, every day going, well, what do you want? What do you want to be best in the world? But I think with the right resources, um, the, uh, the time and, you know, coach buy-in that you could do that process of a source to make it more effective for everyone. So, so you know, that's where it comes from with the athletes. That's where the challenges are uh, to get it to come from them. And then, you know, the the injuries, the injuries in um, action sports are, are catastrophic. They either get up and walk away or they are extremely seriously injured. You know, there's no, uh, as I said, there's no, no twisted ankles. It's, it's they either bounce and walk away or, you know, they've nearly snapped the leg off. So, and that's the other challenge with these guys is, is, is the injury management and the ongoing care for that and getting them back to sport and how they were before. Yeah, just to, uh, I, know you, I know you push for time, so I'm just a bit conscious of that, but um, if you were to go back to traditional sport, like a rugby or a football or whatever, what would you take uh, from your time with the extreme boys? Uh, you know, if I, if, you know, if, if I went back into rugby or if I went back into premiership rugby or back into premiership football, I think my key learning is um, the, athlete responsibility is, is is a huge thing, and you know everyone talks the accountability game and buy in, and the athlete must buy in, the coach must buy in, everyone must be accountable, everyone must be accountable. 
But, you know, I think a lot of the systems in place, you know, by accident remove that because you bring an athlete in and you weigh them, you do the body fat, you do the body composition, you know, they'll do a hydration test, you know, they'll do a battery of health and well-being things uh, every morning or a few mornings a week. And then you, you, you're telling them everything that's going on with them. So an athlete may turn up and feel absolutely great, but, you know, maybe a meager wave tells them that they're not ready to train. And they're like, yeah, but I, I feel really good, though. And you're going, oh, no, 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 yeah. Computer says no. So I think we spend a lot of time undermining the athlete's natural instincts, which is, and I know I'm repeating myself, which are the very instincts that we expect them to rely on um, out when they're doing the job. So I think for me, it, it's not to junk all the sports science, the testing. Um, I think it's just to try and get that. If I went back into the traditional world, it's try and get the balance right between the athlete being genuinely at the center of the process and driving their own performance forward uh, with what with what they feel works with them, balanced against um, what the science says. And it's always going to be that balance of the science and appliance. And, and, and um, that is what I would take with him. That is what I would try and get around. And again, you know, try and create the environment for guided learning. You know, use the players, use the players' experience and knowledge um, because... You know, if if you go into a rugby team as an S and C coach in your first year, uh, and you're dealing with a senior player um, who's you know in his in his late twenties, early thirties, you know you're probably the sixth S and C coach he's ever dealt with. So so what can you learn from him? What can you learn from what he's learned from the, all the S and C coaches before you? Because they can't have all been bad. So you know, I I just think athletes have got a lot to offer. Um, about their own map of their performance world that we should maybe spend more time listening to. But I know that's uncomfortable because it probably feels like you're letting the lunatics take over the asylum. But, you know, it's, it's for me, I think getting that balance right, listening to the athletes, getting, getting them to drive more of their own process forward, um, which then creates this greater co cooperation and I think leads to a greater, greater culture of um, accountability. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's brilliant. I mean, it's certainly lots of stuff I can take away from that, so I'm sure it'll be the same for the people. Um, just a little bit of a roundup, really. Um, little projects that you got coming up where people can keep in touch with what you're doing? Uh, well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's go, go, go all the time. You know, if, if you if you work in the world of, um, you know, performance rehabilitation with action sport athletes and thought, you know, you're never short of work because they're always throwing themselves down the road or down the mountains, aren't they? But, um, it's, you know, we've got a number of athletes in at the moment, uh, and then project wise, um, there's a, there's, there's so much on and it's, it's hard to say, you know, this is how you can keep in touch. If you go to the Harrison Ross website, we try and put on there as best as possible who we're working with, what we've got going on, what events we've been to, which part of the world we're going to. Um, you know, I've got some um, pretty insight, exciting projects coming up with uh, weirdly out in Sri Lanka. Um, I've got, um, I, I often get, for whatever reason, I often get invited to speak at conferences. I don't know why. They must be desperate or something like that, getting to me to the bottom of the list. But things, you know, I've NASA invited me out to speak to their whole astronaut training team and life sciences, which I did last year. Uh, there's things like that coming up again. The, the, I'm talking at the British Association of Sport and Exercise Medicine National Conference, which is next month, which is up in Edinburgh, uh, about 
extreme sports, um, extreme sports, action sports medicine, and how it's pushing the boundaries of sports medicine and what's possible. So if you if you go to the Harrison Ross website, Harrison Ross website, you can try and you know we try and update that as much as possible with what we're doing, who we're doing it with, uh, and where I'm going to be and uh, and everything else. But um, it's just it's it's really dynamic, it's really fast, um, you know, and these guys push us really really hard, obviously. Um, and you know everything that I've said today as well. You know, I, I don't. I hope it doesn't sound critical of anything, too critical or, or of anyone or anything. You know, I'm fully aware that I have the luxury of working with individual athletes, and I'm and I'm painfully aware of, of, of that I've got the luxury of not answering to a director of rugby or a director of football or a performance director. You know, I I, I totally get that. I'm extremely lucky that I've got the movement that I've got, the responsibility that I've got and the, the the resources to just, you know, when someone turns up is just to get on with it, you know, without having to go through 300 different levels of decision making and uh, and questions. So I, I get all of that totally. But um, anyway, yeah, there you go. So I mean, you're, uh, you put quite a lot of stuff on Twitter as well. What's your uh, Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. You know, I am I'm the real Conehead, obviously the real Conehead, because there's lots of fakes out there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's again, social media. Um, I tend to find out about what the athletes are doing and why uh, via Twitter or Instagram first. So, so what happens is, you know, one of them will post a picture of the leg hanging off, uh, and then I'll go, "All right, so we'll, we'll see you tomorrow." We'll see you in a bit. Yeah. yeah, we'll see you. And then, and then I'll get the phone call after after it's been posted to social media, saying, "Yes, yeah, so I've, uh, I've snapped my leg off." <laughs> so, um, you know, you can keep in touch with me and the ath- and all the athletes that we work with via social media, and obviously, you can imagine all the action sport athletes that we work with uh, at a world level. They're very, very active on social media, and and you know, and that and that's and that's a. Uh, and that's a good thing. But one one thing I do want to say, if we've got time, is um, any aspiring SNC coaches that are out there, or you know, even ones that are currently working in sport, and it's it's something I talked about with Brendan Chaplin, is you know, don't get hung up on trying to get the job in sport as a full time SNC with a professional team, whatever sport that is, at whatever level. I think the one thing that has changed over the last um, over the last 10 15 years which I didn't mention before is is you, you don't have to be working with a with a with a team to be a credible SNC coach there's nothing wrong with working with civilians um in your own facility um in a decent gym and you know trying to bag that one semi-professional or professional athlete which can lead on to others and I think I think there's a there's a, maybe a stigma attached to being what's seen as a glorified personal trainer in a gym, uh, and and I don't think that's the case. I think you know there's 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 some really decent facilities out there right now, and and um, you know the ten years ago it, it it was either an elite gym, an elite gym in an elite team, or a sort of fitness chain gym, and there was nothing in between. And there's 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 been a massive explosion of independent S&C facilities that have got good kit, good weights, plenty of space and, you know, and all right coaches in them, you know, doing free weights. And I think, um, you know, chasing that dream job or perceived to be a dream job in a team um, is, is, you know, I just don't want people to get hung up on that, especially ones that are coming to an end of a, 
you know, sports science degree or MSc in strength and conditioning. There's credible options and opportunities out there with civilians in independent facilities, you know, training your local rugby team, you know, you know, building your skill set as a coach to be able to, you know, learn your art um, and, and, and take your time over it. I just, I don't know. I just, I just think everyone seems to be tripping over themselves to do their MSc, get UKSA accredited and then immediately want to fire themselves into a job at a first team premiership team. And, and, you know, be careful what you wish for because, you know, you'll get sacked at the end of the year, even though you've done nothing wrong. So, you know, it's, I know I'm repeating myself. There's credible facilities, opportunities out there working with civilians and, you know, it's just something for people to think about, I think. No, I think that's uh, – I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, that's, that's been great. Um, but, yeah, just to round up, because I know we're nearly 40 minutes and you've got things to do. Um, so I'll just say thank you very much for, for your time again. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's it. Job done. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me, you know, and, you know, and just to say I, 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 I am making it up as I go along. I am literally, literally – making it up as I go along, as is everyone else. They just maybe don't admit it, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, I just stick uh, stick my finger in the air and go, I, I hope this works out all right. <laughs> well, it seems to have done so far, so you're doing something right. Brilliant. Nice one, Rob. Okay, thanks, mate. Cheers, Cheers for that. Cheers, mate. Take Cheers. it easy. Bye. Right, bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. Uh, I thought it was a great episode with Darren. Uh, it spoke about some really interesting issues uh, and plenty to take away from that personally, so I'm hoping you feel the same. Don't forget to keep in touch with everything that's going on the podcast. Uh, if you give me a follow on Twitter, at Pace Perform, uh, everything we put out there that's going on the podcast. If you do want to go on iTunes and subscribe, like I've said before, the episode will pop up straight on your laptop phone or tablet if you do want to also give us a rating and a review on itunes that would be greatly appreciated and i will speak to you with some more great guests soon